today's scripture readings out of Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Transition made. <laughs> now you're all in trouble. Now that, um, okay, so here's today's passage. Oh, I'm not set up. Let's see, we've got apps, we've got stuff to do. Hold on, let me close Twitter. Just joking, I don't have Twitter open. There we go. Um, okay, I'm going to back this up because I've already done this today. Um, hi again. Good to see you all. Uh, so this is our passage. We're going through Matthew very slowly. What, what do you got to do? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, there's a big passage here on anger. And so I figured, um, I've been on social media. I can see what's going on. Let's have two weeks on anger and talk about that for a couple of weeks. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and so I'll do a bit of review because I haven't taught on Matthew in like three weeks. And... Uh, and so this week, anger. Next week, anger. The week after that, lust. Maybe we'll do a few weeks there. That'd be fun, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, let's pray, shall we? Let's do it. Um, Father, thank you for this place, for these people, for everything that, uh, that you have done to, to bring us together. Thank you for allowing us to be uh, gathered together as your people to bear your name. So many um, different people from different places, different walks of life, all together in one place as the body of Christ, as it was meant to be. And it's beautiful, and we are thankful. And so now, as, as I speak, allow me to speak clearly and communicate clearly and remember the things that I've studied. Allow all of us to be present and hear and uh, um, not worried about what we've been through recently or what is coming, but right now, this is all that, that is here, is at this moment. And let us be here and receive your love and receive your gifts and the good things that you have for us. Um, give us knowledge and then give us wisdom on how to apply that knowledge. Uh, help us see things with fresh new eyes, the eyes of Jesus, um, the eyes that can change the world. Thank you. In your name, amen. All right. Is number one on the lights turned up? Is nobody back there? Is number one up there? I think so. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Um, all right. So where are we? What do you guys want to do? What do you want to do? Okay. Um, okay, so last week I talked about this, Matthew 5, tw- not last week, three weeks ago, 520. Uh, it said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I, this verse has, has been misinterpreted a lot over the last really 50 to 80 years. People have used it in specific ways that don't matter right now. Um, but, but basically, if you'll remember, we talked about this in great lengths. There were the scribes and there were the Pharisees. And the scribes had a particular job. Their job was to take uh, the laws of the Torah and take each individual law to open it up and to write a whole bunch of laws on how to obey this law so you can obey the law of God. Um, they believed wholeheartedly that what God wanted us to do um, was to alter all of our behaviors so that we never, ever broke a rule in the Bible. Whether or not we understood it or not, make sure we never broke it. And so they would write these, the scribes would spend their time writing these massive books um, on how to live out the laws. And they wrote them, eventually it turned into this book uh, centuries later called the Mishnah. If you print it out, again, 800 pages, the Mishnah. And then there's 
Um, then there's the Talmud, these, this massive collection, hundreds of volumes of writings about the Mishnah. And so like, there's all these details um, that are governing every aspect of your life. From the moment you wake up and stand up to the moment your head hits the pillow at night, there are things you should be doing and prayers you should be praying as you're tying your laces on your sandals, you're praying a prayer. As you're, as you're washing your hands, you're praying a prayer. As you're taking your first sip of your, of your cup at lunch, you're praying a prayer. Um, you're walking into buildings, out of buildings, praying these prayers and, and doing these specific things in specific ways, and it was, it was crazy. Um, and the ones that were really good at obeying all the laws of the scribes were the Pharisees, and they were like sort of the professional rule keepers, right? They, they, they showed everyone like what this looked like, and everyone wanted to be these guys. Everyone wanted to be a law keeper because that was what they believed it meant to be holy. That's what they believed it meant to be righteous. And, uh, and Jesus walks in and he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, what? Um, but what Jesus is getting at is there's this whole other thing that's far more important than obeying these laws. And he opens that up for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He follows it up with, by the way, uh, so well, hold on. So he says, he says there, there are these laws that they do, but there's a better way. Remember I had, I had this ridiculous little drawing. Um, there's a low road, obeying the law. That's fine. It used to be considered the high road, but Jesus proposes something new, the new high road, which is pursuing the law's intent. The law, as Jesus says, it's not going to be abolished. It's going to be fulfilled. And the, the word ignomai, it, it means it's going to have a destination. It's taking us somewhere. That There's this, there's this place that, that God is, is, is taking this whole thing. And that the laws from the beginning were this intention of like, of like, no, what does the world look like when God reigns? It's not, here's what you should do every day. It's different. It, it's not about what your hands and what you're doing. It's about your heart. It's about where the actions of your hands are coming from. And so pursuing the law's intent was a higher thing. It was, it was a righteousness that exceeded everything else. And so we get to this point where Jesus says, um, here, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it's like he says, for instance, you have heard it said, and he goes into these laws. He starts, launches into like, you've heard this law, but here's the point of that. You've heard this law, but here's the point of that. You've heard this law, and here's the point of that. So he's taking what the scribes and the Pharisees had, and he's one-upping it. He's saying there's, there's, a, there's a bigger thing going on, a more important thing happening. And he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So before we get to the meaning of this, I want to get to some cultural stuff that, that's happening here that you need to see that I feel is important because it, it brings a whole other aspect. Um, there was this way that the ancient teachers, depending on your job, would talk. There was this special sort of um, catchphrase that you would use. For instance, if you were a prophet. So we've got prophets and we've got these rabbis. Look the same, but they're not. Um, these prophets and these rabbis. And the prophets, whenever a prophet spoke, you would notice in the Old Testament, they would say something like this, thus saith the Lord. And they would point to the ancient Hebrew god, Yahweh. And, this is the Hebrew word for Yahweh, by the way. Um, in case you're like, what? That's a terrible drawing. I don't know what that is. That's what that is. Pointing back to Yahweh, okay? And so whenever they're saying something, I have a message, but it's not from me. It's from, it's from God, not me. So if you have a problem with the message... Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. We're not going to argue about this. I'm just going to deliver the message. Don't kill me, please. But they always killed him. Um, and then you have the rabbis. And the rabbis are always pointing back. The rabbis, whenever they talk, they're saying, you have heard it said. And, and there's, you can find this everywhere. The rabbis stand up to talk and they say, you've heard it said. And they're basically giving you a teaching, something you need to know. 
but they're releasing themselves of any responsibility of it, whether it's right or wrong. This has nothing to do with me. You've heard it said, though, and they quote some other rabbi, and they point to these other rabbis, because like, if anyone's going to get in trouble, it's going to be someone else. We do that all day, right? Um, and so whenever they're talking, they're referencing, they're, they're giving off, they're saying, I, this is not, I don't have the authority to say this, so I point to someone else. Now, we do this in regular conversations every day. Whenever we debate any kind of like, like politics or like climate science or whatever, what we do is we tend to give the opinions of science experts, right? Like we'd say, well, you know what Dr. Schnuselau said, German climate scientist, and, and the other guy's like, yeah, you know what this person says, and, and we're quoting other people. Why? Because we know we don't have the authority to say what we're saying, and if we say it, they're going to say, says who? You've got to have somebody to point to, because we don't trust each other, do we? Let's be honest. Um, and so we're all pointing to other people. People do this in theology as well when you're debating theology. Some say, well, Richard Rohr says this. Well, John Piper says this. Well, Tim Keller says this. And we're all just pointing at different theologians and saying, that guy. So, like, um, you, you can't get mad at me and tell me I'm wrong because I'm not the one who's wrong. It's this guy. You're telling him he's wrong? Man, you've got a lot of guts. And so, like, no, no, no. This other theologian said that he's wrong. And this is how we talk. We are... It's sort of like we're debating by proxy for other people, right? Um, it's pretty ridiculous if you think about it, but this is what we do. Because none of us feel like we have the authority to say anything. And that's probably for the good. Um, however, that is not what Jesus does. Jesus starts off, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. So he starts off like a rabbi. He's like, I'm a rabbi. I'm going to use the rabbinical language. Uh, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And then he like, it's, like, it's like, a, like a sucker punch because then he says this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And so he's not pointing at anyone else. Taking full responsibility for his own statements and claiming the responsibility, claiming the authority to say something which no one had ever said before. A new idea that was high and above by his own claim Everything else. He's, so first off, he's like giving a nod to like the authority of these people. You've heard it said this. But you know what I say? And he, go, he one-ups it and changes everything that they've said. So what Jesus is doing, he's pointing directly at himself. He's saying, me, here's what I say. He's claiming authority. He's claiming the divine right to speak, which is why I teach Jesus, which is why I quote Jesus. Because first off, I believe he was right. Um, I believe this message was divine for him. However, uh, it was, there's lots of debate about when Jesus realized exactly what was going on inside of him. I, I believe it was probably sometime around um, the baptism uh, of Christ uh, that this, he awakened to like, oh, this is, this is different. I'm here to do something different. I'm here as an incarnation of God. Because remember, he's raised as a human being, and that's debatable, it doesn't really matter. Um, but here we are, he awakens and, and he's teaching, no, I have this authority. I have some things to bring the world that they've never heard. And I will speak. And I will not point to anyone else, but I'll speak, to my, speak about my father. I and my father are one. And so when I speak, if you want to know what the father looks like, you look at me. So Jesus is claiming this authority. Um, part of being a Christian is like accepting that authority of Jesus Christ. And saying, yeah, I can, I can look at other stuff and read other stuff, but like really I always go back to Jesus. If someone's right, they're right. I, I believe because... Jesus was there first. I point out Jesus stuff everywhere I go um, in conversations with all kinds of people. I was like, well, that's actually a Jesus thing. 
Oftentimes they're shocked. They didn't know it. Um, and so there's, first off, there's that. So I wanted to bring that to your attention because the way Jesus is speaking, and this is not the only time, um, this happened regularly and it shocks people. Just watch. Now that you see this, um, let's read this passage you've probably read before. Mark 1, 21. On the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. It's Jesus. Entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes, because none of the scribes would claim authority. And Jesus walks in, and these people are debating what other people said. He goes, just stop with what they said. Here's what I say. And he just lays it out. And then they're shocked at, at his even desire to have this authority to speak this way. Um, and he's just turning everything upside down. So we get to today's passage. You have heard it said to those of old, you, are, uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable, um, will be liable to judgment. So um, let's see, where are we at here? So Jesus starts off sort of talking about this higher righteousness. He says, they've said this. You try people, you send people to court for murder. You judge them for murder. Um, what if we went deeper than that, and what if we attacked the thing that actually causes the action that lead to the murder? What if we went deeper and found that, the heart? And what if we changed their heart? What if we dug all that out of there and got rid of that and renewed this person from the inside? What if we were able to penetrate the deepest parts of, of the human soul and the mind and, and upend the way that they think about the people around them? What if we could do that? And... Uh, and so this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying the law says don't kill, but there's so much more that you can destroy of a person without actually killing them, right? Like you can pretty much kill a person and then still be alive. You can destroy their, their identity, their self-esteem. You can destroy their, their, their income, their job, their, their marriage. You can destroy a lot of a person and, and not murder them. And it's those things that we don't really seem to care about, especially in today's culture. We're very quick to just topple people. They say something we don't like. They're done. They're over. They should be begging on the side of the road now. There's a lot you can do to somebody without actually killing them. You can pretty much kill them. And Jesus says, so what if this was deeper? What if this was different? Murder has a beginning. And he says, it starts... With anger, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So he starts off with anger. Let's talk about the anger. Um, the anger is this word, orgizestai. Everyone, orgizestai. It's a fun word. Um, I, it's, it's kind of a combination of two words um, because there's only two words for anger in the Greek. Um, and this is sort of a, a combination of each of them. Um, the first word is thumos. Uh, it refers to that explosive anger that, that it, when it's triggered, it rises up real fast and dies down. Whenever people talk about anger, we tend to speak of it as like heat and fire. It's a, a regular like, I'm just red hot. You know, like it's just, you think of something and your body literally gets hot. You, you're sleeping at night and you're nice and cool and this thought enters your brain and you're like, oh no, oh, it's hot in here. And suddenly you can't sleep because you're all worked up, your blood's pumping and you're hot. Um, heat is all, has always, even in ancient times, been related to anger. Um, and when you would think of this word, you would kind of think of this, like tinder, like straw, that when it's lit, it lights up really fast. You have to have tinder to start a fire. It starts up really, really fast, and it burns quickly, and it goes down. So you have to have something else ready to put on top, right? So this is the idea of thumos. It's that when someone has a temper, this is what you're talking about. This is the idea. Um, when, when you're like, like, don't poke the bear. Don't make him mad. 
right? If, if, you, if you make him mad, we're all going to have a bad day for the rest of the day. And so it's this anger that, that when it's triggered is explosive and they freak out. It's the kind of thing that can ruin your reputation, can ruin your relationships, ruin families, um, get you fired, pretty much ruin a lot of things that can send you to prison pretty easily. Um, it's that thing that if you just let it exist inside of you, that when it comes out, it's just, ah, and as quickly as, as it pops up, it goes back down. And you're like, what? I, I just, I wasn't thinking. It just wasn't me. Like, that was in there. That was, that was in you. Um, and then there's another kind of anger, which is, which is orge, which is um, it's this long-lived anger that's nursed and kept hot for extended periods of time. If we're talking fire, it would be the coals. It would be the things at the bottom that you keep hot. That like you, you keep hot all night long while you're sleeping in your tent and you come out and you throw another, another piece of wood on there so that the coals stay nice and hot so that later in the day you can cook food. You keep this thing hot. This is the anger that you were raised with. This is, uh, it doesn't feel like anger. It's just this sort of boiling thing way down inside the cauldron of your soul where like um, you were raised thinking that like this is your people and there's this other people and they're not as good as your people and your culture is above other cultures. It's supreme. Um, and then there's um, your, your this nationality and you're not that nationality and thank goodness because this nationality, we're this and they're that. Um, it's this thing where like when somebody maybe offends you a little bit and you start going back and thinking about all your memories of them and you're like, what did they mean by that? And what did they mean by that? And you start twisting everything to be this negative, angry, bitter thing. And you nurse this thing. You keep it alive. You talk about it with, with, with other people. It's just this thing that you're keeping alive. It's this anger, this, this orge inside of you. And it's just the kind of stuff that, um, that um, caused the Samaritans and the Jews to war with each other for centuries. It's the kind of, it's the reason that that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because they had this history with the Sidonians um, who murdered their ancestors. And this thing passes from generation to generation. The scriptures talk about the sins passed down generation to generation because we burn these things inside of us. We keep them alive. The word Jesus uses, orgesestai, is, is both of these things. He says these things have no place. He says they have absolutely no place. I say to you that anyone who is angry, whether it's explosive, just temper anger, or whether it's just this seething sort of bitterness and arrogance inside of you towards another people or person, um, I say you're liable to judgment. So let's talk about the judgment. So what is this? Um, 21st century American Christians, when you mention the judgment, they think of one thing. They think of after you die, standing before God. And that's all they think of. The original readers of these texts had specific things that were in mind when they heard these phrases. When, when that, that things that we don't have in our minds, because we don't live in their day. We, we can't necessarily read their books. We're reading their books. We need to read their books with their eyes. So when he te- mentions the, um, he says, I say anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Um, the judgment is the judgment court. It's called the crisis. Um, and it looks a bit like this. It's this platform, and there would be a stairway on the other side that would go up, and there's these sort of throne kind of seat kind of things. Um, and on this platform, there would be the village elders. If it's a small village, less than 150 people, there would be three village elders. The oldest people, they were considered the wisest. They would be sort of, they would sit in judgment, and, and all day, people would bring them, village of 150 people, you're going to have a few things a day. People would bring them offenses, and they would bring the offenses before the the, the elders at the judgment seats, and they would sort of render justice and punishment 
um, it was a self-contained sort of justice system that everyone lived under together. And everyone served on it, too, in different places, and everyone sort of had votes sometimes. Um, now, uh, bigger, depending on how big, if you were like a, like a, a medium-sized city, um, you could have more than three, you could have, you could have seven, you could have, um, let's say I wrote some of it down here, um, yeah, seven in larger towns, and then if you had a, like a city, like a big city, you'd have 23 as the max, 23 elders sitting on this platform rendering justice, and they would probably be split up doing different courts at the same time. Now, there's a plaque here. If, you, if I could zoom in on that, it says B-E-M-A. It's the word Bema. Um, this is the city of Corinth, the ancient ruins of the city of Corinth. Um, and this particular piece is actually literally mentioned in the Bible, this, the platform. It's called the Bema seat. And what Paul is doing, he says, he says every one of you will have to stand for the Bema seat. Of Jesus. So he takes the same language of the judgment of the village elders and he says, But the laws of the world, they're not what we live under. Each one of us should stand before Jesus. And when we are judged, we judge ourselves, and when we judge each other, when we judge how we should live in this world, we know that we are judged by the eyes of Jesus. And so when we are ordering our lives, we look to the one with authority, Jesus, and we order our lives in the teachings of Jesus, in the path of Jesus. And so each one of you, not just one day, right now, each one of us should stand and will stand, this is who, how we are judged, stand before the bema seat of Jesus. Who, even according to, uh, if he's claiming to be the Father, even according to the Old Testament, it says, God doesn't, doesn't look at the outside, God looks at the heart. And throughout scriptures, you can see sort of this language over and over and over that, that what God is doing What God is doing is not what the people in this world are doing. Jesus is asking us to have a little bit of imagination. Imagine if, you know, people stand before the village elders and the Bema seat. They stand there in judgment, uh, in front of the the judgment court for things like murder. But what if we were in a society where murder was just not even on the radar? And it was was the kingdom of God in such a way that even when, when the hearts of people were bitter and angry towards each other, those people stood before. Because that, what if that was the big deal? What if that was the thing that we tackled? And it's sort of like Jesus is asking people, he's, he's offering them, there's a higher way. There's, there's a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. And he sort of paints this picture. Everyone knows you should go to jail for murder, but you know what I say? I say there's punishment for your own heart and the feelings and thoughts of anger and hatred that you have in your heart. And, he says, and he's like sort of painting this beautiful picture of this world um, that Jesus is, is bringing in. And, and these things, this anger and this bitterness in our hearts is not useful for the kingdom of God. This is told about over and over in scriptures. We have the book of James and it says, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Plain and simple. Your anger is not useful in what God is doing. God is bringing righteousness into this world. The anger in your heart, the bitterness, the hatred, the things that you are nursing and keeping alive, the things that uh, pop up and are just flare up, None of that has any use in what God is doing. You have to know this. It doesn't have a place. So those people in your life or those media outlets or those books you're reading or the magazines or whatever that are telling you, stay angry, keep angry, that is, according to the scriptures, unuseful, not useful for what we're doing at all, for what God is bringing into this world, the kingdom of God. And then, and then Colossians 3.8, you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. And he goes on to say, Um, these kinds of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is at hand, at hand, available to you now, 
this isn't how you get it. This isn't how it's established. This isn't how it grows in the world. These things are not useful to what God is doing in any way, shape, or form. Um, last week, Emily spoke about this, um, this concept of, of the already and the not yet, right? Like the kingdom of God. Like there's, there's this thing that we are citizens, like followers of Jesus. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This thing is already, it is here. It is at hand. Jesus said that. It is available to us now. We can live this way. But it's not yet here. So it's this thing that we are a part of that it's not really realized yet. It's this thing that God is like, is, is moving us towards this long journey. However it ends, I don't know. Christians have argued for a long time about how this looks. Eschatology is the word. And uh, everyone's got 20 different eschatologies that change every two or three years. And I have my own thoughts, but it really doesn't matter. The point is, like, there's this thing that God is, God is like, you can take part in this thing now. It is just, it is good, it is, it is lovely and beautiful. It's, it's the law of grace. It's, it's a totally different way of looking at the world around you. He says, you, you, so Paul writes, you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. These things have no part in the kingdom of God. Now, let's go to the next part. Um, and so Jesus says um, that the person who thinks this way and who sort of lets, lets this anger boil up inside them, he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I want to talk about the you fool thing um, because there's different... Translations of Scripture, there's, this is the, what's called the ESV, the English Standard Version. There's an NIV, New International Version. There's all kinds of versions. All of these versions, basically, if you're not familiar with church and Christianity and the Bible, um, you're translating from these ancient languages, these ancient dead languages, and trying to get the, the, the heart of the message and bringing it into modern English. The problem is all the translators come from different faith traditions. There's Presbyterians and Methodists and Lutherans and Baptists and all these things, and and, and so there, you end up with sort of different interpretations on the heart of what it is. And so it's good to read like a broad, all the translations. Um, but if you put another one beside this one, um, the NIV, honestly, the New International kind of opens it up a little bigger. It says this, anyone, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, it's pretty clear. Have any of you, have any of you said Raka this week to anyone? I think so. I think we're good. So we can move on. That would be, that would be a literal reading. Um, that's not what's happening here. Um, the word raka is this word that has to be translated. The problem is there's not an easy way to translate it because it's not like a word with a definition. It's, it's a word with a feeling. It's like a tone. It's a way of looking at somebody and talking about somebody. Even though just saying it like raka, like it's like, bleh, bleh, I, I spit you out of my mouth. Like it's kind of this, it's, the heart of it is kind of the idea of a fool today, but, but when we say fool, we kind of mean someone who's just not very smart. The idea in the ancient world of raka was that it was this thing, you believed you were better than other people, and you looked down upon them for whatever reason, because you understand a concept more, or because you're some race or nationality, or you're from some place, or you're from some country or nation, or from whatever. And we separate ourselves. From them, and we look down upon them. For instance, um, there is this um, there's this rabbinic tale of this of this rabbi named Simon ben Eleazar who uses this phrase raka, um, and it is it's a sort of a confession from this rabbi, this this well-read rabbi. And, and this rabbi basically talks about how one day he was leaving a class, and he left this class he had just been teaching, and he was thinking all highly of himself. He's like, I'm so smart. 
I am well-educated. I am very good at what I do. There's no one who can do what I do. And he's just thinking, just feeling great about himself and who he is. And, and uh, you know, he's like, I'm body posy. I'm all that. I'm feeling good. Um, and like four of you are like, yeah, body posy. Um, and he's feeling great. And this guy, this, this other guy comes up the road. And this guy is, is um, he's from a, a, a minority community in the city um, who... Like today, this minority community is being blamed for all the problems in society. And this is what we, we all point to some other people as the problem, right? Never, it's never us. It couldn't be us. Um, and this is what we do. And so he does this. And this guy sort of says hello, gives him a, a greeting in, in Jewish, um, the Jewish language of the day that they were speaking. And the rabbi, Simon ben Eliezer, confesses this. He says, um, he looked at him and he said, you, Raka, how ugly you are. Are all the men in your town as ugly as you? That's what he said to him. And this is the guy's response. He said, that I do not know. (laughs) And then he said, which is great. And then he said, go and tell the maker who created me how ugly the creature he has made. So he's sort of, yeah, he's like appealing to like, oh, you're close to God? I mean, why don't you go talk to God about how ugly I am? He made me. It's like, oh, you're right. Okay, now, that was like a a use of the phrase. So this is a known phrase in the day. Um, I want to talk about that, right? Uh, r- racism, xenophobia, um, which is, in case you don't know, some of you are Googling right now, uh, it's, it's the, the sort of, they call it the fear of people who are not like you. Basically, wanting to be around people who are just like you. Not wanting to be around people who are not like you. Um, misogyny, all these things. Looking down on, on someone who is not like you. All of this is... It, if I may be honest, this is idolatry. And you might be thinking, well, how is that idolatry? I'm not worshiping anybody. Actually, you are. Here's what happens. We, um, we tend to worship the traits that we have when we see them in others. This is what we do. We, we separate ourselves by nations, and we say, and, and these are all human, earthly government things, by the way. They're not real. They're all constructs. We say, um, I, I am this and they are that, and, and we're different, and I separate myself. And then we separate, um, but if someone is from your nation, you're like, hey, I like that about you. You're, you're American. You're like, you're like me. Um, also, like maybe you're like from the Midwest or the Pacific Northwest or the South or the North, and you're like, oh, I'm that. You're like me. I like that about you. And then we separate into, into states. You're from Florida. I'm like you. You're like me, and I like that about you. And then we separate it into states. Oh, you're from Tampa. It's a good city. It's my city. And then we have these neighborhoods. Oh, you're, you're from my neighborhood? Me and you, we're the same. That's a cool neighborhood. Oh, oh, you're from the cool end of my neighborhood just like me? That's cool. That, that's the dodgy end. This is the cool end. Um, and, then, uh, and, and then even even more than that, like, oh, you have that kind of style of house? I have that kind of style of house. You're like me, and I like that about you. And then we get, it, gets, it gets worse. The color of your skin, I, I like that about you. The color of your hair, I like that about you. The, the, you. You're in the same kind of music. You wear the same kind of clothes. You're in the same political party. You're in the same denomination. You, you interpret scriptures the exact same way as me. I like that about you. No, you don't. You like yourself. You are idolizing and worshiping yourself. And every place that you see yourself in that other person, you worship that. 
It is idolatrous. It is self-idol worship. It's, it's actually really disgusting. And we do this every day. It's, I mean, how dare we not let people belong to us? Who do we think we are? How dare somebody not belong? If we understand the gospel, we didn't belong. If we understand the beginning of scriptures, God calls this tribe of people who didn't belong to God. No, we don't belong. But God has made us, God says, no, I'm, I'm going to identify with them. I'm going to become one of them. And so this is, it's, it's disgusting, the idol worship that we have to the people around us. Um, how we're, we're only affirming the things in them that are like us. It has no place in the kingdom of God. No place at all. And then we come to today's passage and we see verse 22. Whoever says, you fool, this is the idea, raka, that that's, all of that is in this word, in this idea. Looking down on someone else because they are not like you. Um, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Let's talk about that. So there's five, five words for hell in the New Testament, and there's more ideas that we sort of translate as hell. And in the English, a lot of versions just use one word, hell, and put it for every one of these. But it's helpful to open up these words because each one applies differently to each particular instance. Now, the word that is used here uh, is this word Gehenna. We've talked about this. I'm going to give a, a quick refresher and add a little more to it. Uh, it refers to the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was this notorious place. Uh, it all starts, for, first off, here's a picture of, um, so here's Jerusalem up high, Temple Mount, um, Dome on the Rock, you have um, the, uh, the, the Wailing Wall, all that. And then, so that's number two. Down here, number one, it goes downhill into this valley. This is the Valley of Hinnom. It's right outside. It's, picture's tilted wrong, but it's to the west um, of Jerusalem. Outside, it's this valley. What happened there, everyone knew about. And when Jesus said this, Everyone knew what he was talking about. Um, so it all starts with this guy, Ahab. Ahaz. Hold on. Ahab, Ahaz. Yeah, Ahaz. And Ahaz, in the Old Testament, um, he introduces this thing called fire worship. There was this god that the local people worshipped called Moloch. And they would set up, in the middle of the number one there, they would set up this thing called a topheth. Um, and the topheth, it, it included this giant sculpture of this god Moloch, kind of a kind of a dog head kind of thing, and his hands out like this, and a big, you know, cauldron of fire underneath his hands. And the way people would worship this god is they would place their children, their live babies, on this altar and burn them alive. This is what happened. And it talk we you can read about that in scriptures. You see, First Chronicles twenty three. It says it says uh, it's talking about Ahaz. He says he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And made his sons pass through the fire. This guy sacrificed his own children. Human beings doing this. Um, you get down the road a little bit, a couple of generations, and you get this other king, this good king. His name is Josiah. And Josiah upends this whole thing. He's, he's irate about the whole idea. And he charges in there, and he tears it all down. In Second Kings, it says, he defiled the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which Ben is the word for son, uh, son of Hinnom, um, so that... No one would make a son or daughter pass through the fire as an offering to Moloch. Charges and tears it all down. It's disgusting. He says, this is the worst thing human beings can take part in. This will never exist again. And he defiles the whole place. Any disgusting thing you can imagine, they threw in that place. 
all of it. And it became this sort of this constant incinerator. There was like this big plume of black smoke over it for, for like a century. Um, and all the garbage would be thrown there. When people died like prisoners, they'd be thrown there and burned up. When, they, when poor people who couldn't afford graves, tombstones, whatever, when they died, they'd be incinerated there. They couldn't afford a burial uh, place. Um, and it was just this horrible, terrible place. There were people wailing and weeping there at Gehenna. And um, constantly for, for, for the people that loved the ones that had died, there were dogs fighting over meat and, and the flesh of the dead, um, gnashing of teeth, it's mentioned. And there's this particular worm that, was, that would grow there. Um, and Mark refers to that. that the, the worm was like, you, it was really hard to kill. You could cut it in half. It would make more worms. You can read about it. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's mentioned in the book of Mark. It says, where the worm does not die, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's describing this thing that they all knew. This was a place where anything that was no longer useful to the spiritual leaders in the kingdom of God and what God was doing, what God was building, they declared that's where it belongs. It was this way of speaking. Um, there's this, we have a lot of collections of the ancient rabbis, and one of them um, is known for saying this, three classes go down to Gehenna and return not. The adulterer, he who puts his, his neighbor openly to shame, and he who gives his neighbor an insulting name. We have other references, but the rabbis, the teachers, the, the godly teachers of the communities would basically say, these things have no place in God's people, in our communities, in the kingdom of God, in the future world that God is building. They will not belong because these types of things destroy the humanity, the image of God in us and in other people. And the image of God is beautiful. And people are beautiful. These things are not useful. They have no place. They deserve nothing but to be thrown out. And so we come back to our passage. And we read about Jesus. And he says, he says, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the, to the hell of fire. Jesus is painting this picture of the kingdom of heaven that is coming and will come and has come and asking people to be a part of this new thing. He says, follow me. Asking them to be a part of this new thing. And there's all these things in our life that the fruits of the flesh that do not belong and those who take part in these things have no part in the kingdom of God. You can't, you can't be a part of this kingdom. Like, this is not how you attain it. You want to attain it? Follow Jesus. Understand what he's saying. Um, allow the Spirit of God to do His work. Allow yourself, your heart to be changed, changed from the inside. It's not, it's not about works. It's not about like every day st- waking up and obeying a whole bunch of laws and making sure you're sin-free. This is about a change of heart, how you look at other people, letting the gospel do its work deep inside your heart. There are these small things that we allow to exist and we allow to flourish, the anger inside of our hearts. We just allow it to exist there as if it doesn't matter. But murder would never happen if these things did not exist in our hearts. We just allow it to go on. We hear people say bitter, angry things, and we just let it go as if it's not a big deal. What if it was a huge deal to us, our sanctification and, and, and the love of the world around us? What if we actually, as a community, like went into the lives of each other and said, hey, this thing is this, I'm sensing hatred and like some bitterness. Like you're looking down upon these people. This is not useful. How can we purge this from your life? How can we just throw this in? This needs to go in the garbage. The, the trash guy needs to take it away. How, we need to get rid of this. It has no point. No place in the kingdom of God, in the church. It doesn't. What can we do? How can we talk about this? Do we need, do we need to go sit with the elders? Do we, need to, do we need to gain some perspective? Do we need, if there's anger and bitterness in your heart, do you need, what do you need to be healthy, to purge your life of this? Because it's going to ruin 
the things that God is trying to do in your life. Do you need counseling? We have a counseling center. We have people that would love to talk to you about these things. They're not good. They need to be purged. This is part of why we practice spiritual disciplines as Christians. This is part of why we um, sort of, as Paul says, beat our body into submission by by prayer and fasting and meditating on the word, by serving other people, um, giving of ourselves to birth something new inside of us because it changes your heart from the inside. And so Jesus is calling, use your imagination. What does the kingdom of God look like? How can you live there now? There are things in your life that have no point, no part in it. How do we purge them now? How do we just slowly move forward so that tomorrow is not like today? That's the point of resurrection. Tomorrow does not have to be like today. You can be made new. You can be a different person. Um, And the whole thing ends with this thought. We as Christians, we look to the cross. And that does several things. We we meditate regularly on the gospel and what it means, what the cross of Jesus means. First off, it means that God made a way for us to belong when we did not belong. And so this should change our interactions with each other and with the world around us. This should... This should help us rise above all the righteousness of the world around us. There's a better way. Secondly, we can look at the response of Jesus. Jesus was hurt and tortured and beat and felt pain from people in in ways that you and I have never felt, never will feel. And yet, as he's hanging on the cross, arms outstretched and blood flowing from his body in agonizing pain, about to die, he's looking at these people around him saying, they just don't know. They just don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Don't, and he's asking God, don't be mad at them. Like, forgive them. And the more you ponder that, like, the extent to which you understand the gospel is the extent to which your life becomes more loving and more holy and more righteousness flows inside of it. If you are a bitter, angry, racist, xenophobic person, you don't understand the gospel. You just don't. We can look at the church at large and we can see, oh my goodness, the church at large really doesn't understand the gospel. Many of us don't. At times I don't. We have to ponder it daily, have regular disciplines um, moving towards Christ. One of the ways we do this is communion. So our communion servers, you guys can take the elements and spread around the room. Um, Today, when you take communion, I want you to ponder the anger in your heart, the things you've been carrying, maybe the things that you, you've, you grew up with that you've just been keeping alive and the, the cauldron of like fire in your soul for a long time. You just allow them to exist as if it doesn't do anything to you. Um, or these like outbursts of anger that you have, that you just temper that you have. I want you to bring that to the communion table. I want you to bring the ways that you look down on other people because they are not like you, the way you felt yourself higher or supreme, more whatever, to other people. I want you to bring that to the table and I want you to look at the bread and the wine, the body of Christ. It was broken for you. While that was in your heart, the blood of Christ is spilled for you so that you know you can belong. How dare we not let people enter towards Jesus and into our lives? And we should spend some time in repentance, shall we? Um, Next week we'll continue talk about anger a little more. He goes a lot deeper into it. So communion servers, come on forward and uh, let's pray. Father, thank you. You're a good, holy, wonderful God. And uh, we are not worthy to be called your children. 
were to gather as your church, yet here we are. Bless every one of us. Let us be awakened to the blessings that we have. The things that have no part in the kingdom that you are building, let us throw them out. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your authority. Thank you for uh, speaking truth in difficult times. Teach us to do the same. In your name, amen. Take some time. Speak to Jesus.